how much brain space does it take up? Like, how much do you think about cybersecurity on a day-to-day basis? Constantly. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm constantly, I like make decisions in my day based on whether or not I have to like remember a password. Welcome back to season three of MasterCard's Fortune Favors the Bold. I'm your host, Ashley C. Ford, and that's our guest, Eric Menel. This season, we're taking some of the big questions we all have but are often afraid to ask and talking about them. On this episode, we're tackling something that's confusing, maybe even anxiety-inducing, and completely unavoidable, passwords. Today, we're asking, how can we actually stay safe online? Passwords are built into our daily lives. We log into emails, bank accounts, social media. Have you ever stopped to consider how many passwords you enter in a given day? It's a system completely fundamental to most of our lives, and still it's so cumbersome. How did we get here? Why are passwords the one line of defense between us and the dangers of the internet? And what is there even to be afraid of out there anyway? These are the kinds of questions that haunt, truly haunt, our guest today, Eric Menel. Here's the thing. I even know I'm so bad at passwords that I have set up a password manager, but frequently forget the password to the password manager. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like mostly a very responsible adult, but this is one thing where I'm like, I just can't be bothered. Eric is a podcast producer in his 30s, living in New York City. He grew up using computers and engaging with the digital world. In many ways, he understands the importance of staying safe online. But he's frustrated with how hard it is to keep up with passwords and security systems. So frustrated, he sometimes opts out of them entirely. He would rather avoid a whole system than have to deal with all the things he hates about passwords. In no particular order. I can't remember them. They're too long. Uh, There's too many of them. When you put in a password, and it's like, you've already used this one in your last six passwords. For Eric, what's not up for debate is the importance of keeping his information safe. He works as an investigative journalist and has contributed to a number of deeply reported groundbreaking stories. I I know I have done stories uh, where you're dealing with information that is very sensitive and very personal to people and things that... Not only do you not want to have made public, but can like be compromising to people's safety. And uh, if that information gets out, it's actually very dangerous. Eric gets that cybersecurity is important. He spent time coming up with various systems to create passwords, differentiate passwords, remember passwords. But when those systems break down, he's still left wondering if there's a better way. So tell us about a moment when you lost a password or your system stopped working for you? Literally right now, I have like 13 Facebook messages that I've gotten from friends overseas because that's for some reason the only way they communicate with me is Facebook messages. And I always tell them like, I'm really bad at this, but I've like lost my Facebook password. And so I will like see that I have the messages on a notification on my phone and I'll try to open it up, but I'm not logged in. And then like, it's like registered to an old email account. So I can't like figure out the password for that. And so I just like haven't been on Facebook in a month. 
I think one of those friends had a kid recently. I just haven't seen the pictures of the kid <laughs> because like I just haven't read those messages. Oh my goodness. You're it's being, bad. You're being terrorized. <laughs> so I'm 33 and you and I are about the same age, right? Close. Yeah. Close. I grew up with computers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being around computers, the internet, using passwords. I got my first email address at the library when I was like 11 or 12 years old. What you was know your what email I mean? address? I don't know. I It probably had something to do with a boy band or one of the pseudonyms I used as a quote-unquote romance writer as uh-huh. a 13-year-old. Right. Did you always feel this way about cybersecurity? Because I will say from my perspective, at one time I did not think about my passwords almost at all, yeah. but I also only had so many passwords. There were only so many things I had to have a password for, and that seems to have changed over time. Yeah. I've thought about this a little bit, and I think it's my instinct is that one, we have more things that need passwords mm-hmm. now, but also it feels like as you get older, like the stakes all of a sudden become real. <laughs> like right. as our lives have like moved into the digital world, obviously, like we want to protect every part of them. And so we give every one of those things a password. And I feel like the other things that we actually lock up are like our houses and our cars, right? Mm-hmm. And like, We don't have to put a lock on every one of our individual belongings. We just throw them all in our house and then put a lock on our house. (laughs) But, you know, like I don't have a single computer that's holding all of my digital stuff, right? Like I have to like put an individual lock on all the things because my world exists in like a network of all these different houses. Like It's like I'm keeping one thing in every house in the neighborhood. So let's say you could get a fresh start. What would your ideal password management system look like? It's very personal to me, but I think it would be whatever I want it to be at that exact moment. <laughs> like, uh, like, but I wish, I just wish there were other ways of it knowing that the password is me putting in the password, mm. right? Like maybe it's my typing speed mm-hmm. or... You know, in Aladdin, when he wants to go into the Cave of Wonders, like the Cave of Wonders, like it's always out there in the desert. It doesn't just open for anybody. Right. It opens for... Aladdin. Aladdin. That is true. And so, like, why don't we have that with our passwords? Eric is looking for that magical, perfect password system. And even though part of him is sure that doesn't exist... He's got a lot of questions about how to make the best of the system we have. There's a million password managers. I don't know if I'm using the right one. What are the best password managers? And are there any password shortcuts he hasn't thought of? I feel like I understand what makes a good password, but I'm wondering if there's like a trick to making a good password that isn't also like just a wackadoo password, you know? Like, are there things that like you could like mnemonics for remembering a thing that is actually pretty secure? And more importantly, are passwords really the only answer? Could the future of cybersecurity use something better? Is there something other than passwords I could actually be doing to protect this stuff? Is there a future, like realistically, realistically, is there a future where I will never need a password again? After the break, we'll turn to our experts for answers. My 
My oldest daughter called me up one day and said that she got this letter that she was involved in a major breach and they got information like her social security number. It made me sad because she's in her early 30s and that data is gonna be lost forever. It makes me want to not let that happen to anyone else. My name is Bob Rainey. I'm the Executive Vice President of Identity Solutions at MasterCard. Whether it's the person themselves or their bank that they bank with or the merchant that they're shopping at, I'm really trying to establish trust in the ecosystem and then do it in a way that's very consumer friendly. What we're excited about for biometrics really kind of focuses around less consumer friction. When we first got into biometrics at MasterCard, we had a lot of hope for voice. When I used to take my daughters shopping when they were very young, they're really great at saying, Dad, I want this. It's a very natural thing. Now we're seeing that there's new advancements in voice technology and there's new reasons to look at it. When you ask your speaker to argue you something or when you're in a car, your hands are going to be tied up and you're going to need to use your voice. So co-opting voice and making it part of the ecosystem in a really safe and secure way is a really exciting opportunity for us. I get to work with people who are inspired and motivated to really make a difference and help solve this problem. We're not happy with coming out with a new MasterCard product. We want to impact the whole ecosystem. We're willing to go the long road to create new standards and develop new technology with cooperation from a lot of players. We've got principals, we've got partners, we've got fantastic executive support. We have everybody's interest at heart and it's something that we are passionate about. To learn more, email fftb at mastercard.com. Do you have moments when you see your own passwords not working? Yes, I definitely have those moments. Uh, it's usually after stepping off a 12-hour flight and I'm trying to get into to my email or something like that and, and the password's not working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me your name and what you do? So my name is Rebecca Leddingham. I'm the Vice President for Cyber and Intelligence Solutions at MasterCard. Uh, my responsibilities are looking after MasterCard's customers or acquiring banks, issuing banks and merchants so that they um, do not get hacked. Obviously, that's a big job. And Rebecca's got the skill set to do it. I decided to sit down with Rebecca to answer Eric's question because she doesn't just have a lot of ideas about how to make cybersecurity more manageable. She's also got years of firsthand experience seeing what can go wrong when cybersecurity is weak. I started my career um, many, many years ago in law enforcement in Scotland. I was a uniformed police officer and I worked in many different departments. And then one day I decided that I would apply for the British version of the FBI, which is a national crime agency. She got the job and they placed her in a cybercrime unit. My first reaction was, what on earth is cybercrime? Because this was well over 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, my second reaction is, what on earth have I got myself into? Can <laughs> I get myself out of it? There is a lot for Rebecca to learn, including what cybercrime even is. We hear the term all the time. It sounds dark, invisible, nefarious. But really, what is it? We keep saying cybercrime, and I have this idea of what cybercrime is in my head. And I know that whoever is listening to this has an idea of what cybercrime is in their head, but you are the person who actually works with cybercrime. <laughs> like you're the law enforcement, the former law enforcement agent. So what is it? Like how do you define that? 
I think the problem is the word cyber has been used in so many different areas that it's become a sort of common term for everything. So cyber is really anything that can only be committed in the online environment. Any crime you can commit without the use of a computer is traditional crime. Rebecca says that cybercrime is growing, and exponentially so, as more and more people have access to computers. Early on, passwords became the dominant means for protection against cybercrime, and now they're just kind of baked into the system. So I think passwords are a necessary evil, and I feel the pain of passwords because I uh, am a big online shopper from a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. And every time I want to go to a new website, I have to set up a, a new password. Initially, passwords became a go-to method for protection because they were both relatively easy for consumers to use and relatively cheap for online vendors to offer. As the number of passwords we need to keep track of has multiplied, the system has become, well, less easy to use. Simultaneously, as the number of bad actors with access to technology has risen, passwords have become, unfortunately, more important than ever. Rebecca says the most valuable asset we have isn't our credit card numbers or banking details. It's our personal information. You know, if we know there's been a hack and we know which cards are affected, we can contact the banks and we can get those cards stopped. But your personally identifiable information is with you for life. You cannot change your date of birth. Um, your social security number is with you from, from when you're born. And as I said, you know, once your personally identifiable information is out in the public domain, you lose control of your identity. Since Rebecca is the expert here, I wanted to know how she manages her own passwords. To be perfectly honest, I recommend writing them down. A lot of people will tell you to put them in password managers, but that's an interaction online. I believe that, you know, traditional uh, security is probably better in this case. The chances of somebody burglarizing your house and finding that piece of paper or that book are much less probably than if they are going to break into your password store on your phone or online. All right, I will admit, I was pretty taken aback when Rebecca said this. Here's a cybersecurity expert telling me to write all my passwords down on a sheet of paper? It seems like the opposite of what I've been hearing over the years, that keeping a list of your passwords in one place is a very bad idea. I had to get a second opinion. Hello, Ashley. Cormac? Yes, this is Cormac. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent, thanks. This is Cormac Hurley. He's a principal researcher who works on security, fraud, and passwords at Microsoft. And he's our second guy through this password mess. His perspective is always grounded in data. Like most of us, even though I work on this stuff, you know, I also have coping strategies. Most of us, I guess, have had to come up with things like that. So I I have a sheet of paper where most of the stuff is written down. I try once or twice to guess at it. But if it doesn't work, I pull out, uh, I pull out the sheet. Now, wait a minute. You have a sheet of paper <laughs> with your passwords yep. on them? Yep. <laughs> you know, keep the sheet of paper safe. But that's, I mean, it's simply not feasible, obviously, to remember distinct passwords so you have to do something and writing them down is probably the least harmful thing you could do you've got to i mean you know that sheet of paper needs to be kept safe i really was surprised 
But it seems like Eric's desire to ground cybersecurity in the physical world might be right on the money. Cormac agreed with Rebecca. Since cybercrime happens online, keeping a written list of passwords is a form of diversifying your protection. It's like keeping your keys in a different room from the person who wants to steal from you. For me personally, um, I did a bit of an inventory a couple of weeks ago, and I think I've got on the order of 170 password-protected accounts for various stuff. That was my count, and it's a lot. It's It's a lot. Above all, though, Cormac says the best cybersecurity system is the one you're actually going to use. He says people get caught up trying to figure out what the best system is. They get so worked up, they psych themselves out entirely. He thinks we need to go a little easier on ourselves. Do what we reasonably can. It's important not to let the stuff ruin your day, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do to reduce risk. You know, you could stay at home in bed, for example, and never, never go out, never, you know, you could, you could <laughs> shut down all of your accounts. You could never use the internet. Um, that would reduce risk. But w- we all have to make a trade-off between what it is, you know, what it is we're trying to get done and, and what risks we're willing to run. Here's the good news. We're actually not alone in balancing those risks. As users, we often assume the burden of cybersecurity falls on each of us alone. There's so much cybercrime, and really only the most extreme cases are punished by law enforcement. So it can feel like we're kind of on our own out there. But Rebecca says that's not the whole story. I think um, it's incumbent upon those who do business online to make sure that their environment is as secure as possible for the consumer um, so that the consumer's data is trusted and isn't hacked and removed from that environment. So I think we've all got a part to play. We've got our own personal security, but I think the businesses that you do business with online have to be secure as well. So all we have to do is our part, which is great. But if we're going to at least do our part to maintain our own cybersecurity, and we know we have an important account that needs a strong password, how do we make one? And how do we remember it? I would recommend using passphrases, not passwords. Mm. Um, It has to be something that means something to you. The problem is with people who use the same password for important accounts, and we call this the golden key. They use the same email password for their bank account as their email account, as their Amazon account, as their PayPal account. And the bad guys, if they get hold of one password, they will try it against every single digital place that they think you might go to. Here's one place where Eric's physical world analogy breaks down. The idea that we can have one house, one password, protecting all different kinds of things. Our security does get a lot stronger when we have different passwords for different places. But to reduce the number of strong passwords you have to remember, Cormac says it's okay to decide that some accounts are more important than others. I would prefer if somebody didn't get into my subscription for a particular newspaper or magazine, but 
I'm not willing to try to memorize a 14-character random password to prevent that happening. If you order your accounts, you probably won't find it difficult to say, this is the most important, these three or four are the next most, and those will be kind of your employer account or student account, your bank and money and credit card accounts and things like that. And that takes it from 170 down to something like, for me, 20 or 30 things that are, okay, these I actually care about. That's where I put the effort. So when we spoke to Eric, who, as I said, was our guest for this episode, his number one question, (laughs) and understand he was a little frustrated, (laughs) but his number one question was whether there will ever be a world without passwords. The number of people who have predicted that passwords are going to be gone in the next year, two, three, or ten, People who've made that bet have historically, they all have one thing in common. They've all been wrong, spectacularly wrong. Um, <laughs> it's, they're going to be with us for quite some time. Do you envision a future without passwords? I think there will be, but I think it'll be, uh, you know, certain countries will take up adoption quicker than others. And we've seen that in the technology payment space as well. Uh, We're still waiting for a lot of merchants in the USA to adopt EMV, which is the chip and pin on your credit card, uh, as opposed to you swiping your card. So I think there will be some front runners like Singapore and places like that who are very technology driven, uh, who probably will take it in in the next couple of years. Um, But I think there are some countries where passwords will pervade forevermore. According to both Cormac and Rebecca, we have to make the best of the password systems we have, for now. But Rebecca says that there are already other no-password ways of proving our identity, and they're starting to spread. Think about the phones that open with your fingerprint or face instead of a password, and that's just the beginning. In the not-too-distant future, instead of a password, your phone might confirm your identity with the sound of your voice, the movement of your eye, or even the speed of your typing. It may not be here yet, but the end of passwords will probably one day be about teaching technology to open to you just because you're you. So I do think it has to be based on biometrics. It, it has to be something about your person that, you know, that people can't steal your eyeball or, you know, cut off your fingerprint or, you know, anything horrific like that. So I think there has to be a combination of, as I say, physical and virtual. And I think that's what would make a, a stronger password. This has been so good. Like I've learned so much. Just really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise with us today. Oh, no problem. I've enjoyed it also. So thank you very much for letting me brain dump on you. (laughs) (laughs) What a good brain. So first things first, let me tell you that both Rebecca and Cormac also think passwords are super annoying. Mm -hmm. That is such a relief. Yes. Such a relief. (laughs) After my conversation with Rebecca and Cormac, I was really excited to sit back down with Eric in the studio and share all of their expert password knowledge. The first thing I did was run through all of their practical advice about how to make a strong password and how to think about strong passwords differently. I assured Eric that it was okay to prioritize the safety of some online accounts over others. The idea that you should rank your passwords uh, is yes. incredibly 
thoughtful. It right? never occurred to me. So I do think, like, um, I'm going to stop worrying about those kinds of logins. That's really helpful. It's sort of, it is like the Marie Kondo of password brain space. Right. This, uh, like, login does not create joy. <laughs> right. Why bother? Why bother? Right. Why bother? Next, you told me that you don't know if you're using the best password manager, and you wanted to know which one is the best one. Yeah. Uh, what did they say? What's the answer? Well, both Rebecca and Cormac said the best password manager is paper. <laughs> ah! <laughs> <laughs> Write it down. Write it down on a piece of paper, bro. I listen. I understand your <laughs> I guess, I guess strong the, feelings. The Venn diagram of like <laughs> home invaders and then hackers is like pretty. Like the overlap is pretty small. Okay, so <sighs> sheet of passwords. When Eric was able to catch his breath and accept that paper might have to be part of his password management for now, we turned our attention to the future. Finally, you asked me if there's a future where you'll never need a password again. And the answer is, maybe. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Cormac says people have been saying passwords will go away forever and they still haven't. So they're harder to get rid of than you'd think. Mm -hmm. But Rebecca says the death of passwords could be all about biometrics. And maybe in the not-too-distant future, you can have that cave of wonders moment, and most things you interact with will just open for you because you're you. It's, it is like, it's just like a huge question about like, what is the self? Yes. You know? Like, right? Like, what is, right now, the thing that is like, that uh, my passwords come from are either A, a like machine-generated, like, gobbledygook string of whatever's <laughs> right. uh, or it's like something that is actually important to me and like has it has some sort of meaning to me like the reason mm-hmm. I remember I remember that password is because it has some actual bearing on my life right um, and like the distance between those two things is so vast mm-hmm. and yet they are like serving the same purpose yes um, it's uh, the, the so the idea that like it would that everything would open just because I am who I am I mean, that's kind of already true, but it's mm-hmm. also, like, it doesn't matter that, like, what my first pet was. Yeah. I guess, I guess, so it's interesting that um, that there is a world in which, like, the password as we know it may not exist, but I, but it makes me wonder that, like, we're losing something else with it. How are you feeling now? Like, is that making you feel any better about this password mess? Totally. I feel like, uh, like, it made me feel a little honestly a little less alone <laughs> it's just like it's a it's a it's a weird problem to complain about because it's a kind of problem everyone has and so to like care so much about it makes me feel very small mm-hmm. um so the idea that there is actually like that there are there's advice and like systems for treating your passwords with intention um that is not just make it up use 12 password managers and mm-hmm. you're still going to get hacked anyway that there's like actually other options is very relieving Well, I feel like our work is done here today, Eric. I feel like we've brought you into a place of greater understanding, which was our goal. I'm really proud of us. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Shout out to us. (laughs) We're so good. We're really good at this. Yeah. Thank you so much, Eric. You're so welcome. When I was growing up, I never had to think about passwords or cybersecurity. I had one email address, and that was it. 
But today, the world looks very different than the one I grew up in. And as I get older and the world changes, I have more and more questions about what I'm supposed to do, who I am, and how to be in the world. And this season has really shown me a lot of us have questions about everything from education to careers to cybersecurity to financial identity. But even after all the conversations we've had this season, I'm wondering, how can we take what we've learned and feel empowered? How can we be bold? That's what we're talking about on our last episode of the season. We're getting out of the studio and sitting down for a live conversation as part of On Air Fest in Brooklyn, where I'll sit down with a super exciting panel of experts who will help me work through all of our questions. My question is, how do I teach my child good money habits? How do I get my friends to pay me back? Am I making less than my coworkers? I'm wondering if I can afford... What's the most environmentally conscious way to commute to work? Should I apply to grad school? Hey, Ashley. Hey, Ashley. I'm how wondering, wondering if how I can afford my parents. That's next time on Fortune Favors the Bold. Fortune Favors the Bold is a podcast from MasterCard and Pineapple Street Studios. It's hosted and produced by me, Ashley C. Ford. Our MasterCard executive producers are Marcy Cohen and Brooke Capsiaroni. MasterCard editorial direction by Arsalan Danish and production by Rebecca Abraham. Our MasterCard mid-roll producer is Mira Belgrave. Our theme song is by Bobby Lord. Tell us what you thought of the show. Find us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. And tell your friends about the show, too. I'm Ashley C. Ford. Fortune Favors the Bold will be back next week.